TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your life. Welcome to Wellness Women Radio for the women with big dreams who dare to be different and who want to thrive in health, work and play. Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston bring you a weekly podcast to help you master true health and create an exceptional life. This episode of Wellness Women Radio is very proudly brought to you by Dinner Twist. Dr. Ashley and I want to let you in on a little secret of how we maintain our healthy whole foods lifestyle with very little time. And one of those ways is actually with Dinner Twist. So they plan, they shop, they deliver everything to our door to take all of the guesswork out of having really healthy meals for dinner each night. Um, I love Dinner Twist because they are a locally family-owned business here in Perth in Western Australia, and all of their produce is locally sourced and seasonal. So they are really invested in all of their suppliers as well, which is absolutely amazing. Everything is so fresh. Uh, Ashley and I both get the Wholesome Box, which is naturally gluten and dairy-free as well, and is very consistent with a paleo-type lifestyle as well. Uh, so it's, you know, completely consistent with, you know, the way that we want to eat and want to feed our loved ones too. This is also how I trick Dean into thinking that I can actually cook. So seriously, if I can do it, everybody can trust me. And their recipes are so delicious. They also have other options apart from the wholesome box. So they have a family box for bigger size families and express box. If you're really short on time, uh, as well as a vegan box too. Now, we would love to give you the opportunity for you to actually try Dinner Twist and realize how healthy, how delicious and how fresh it is, but also how much easier this is going to make life as well. So we have a special promo code for you, and that is going to give you $35 off your first box. And that is WWR for Wellness Movement Radio. Um, So we would love you to uh, try for yourself. Don't take my word for it, but let me know what you think. Without further ado, ladies, onto the show. Hey there, wonderful listeners. Thank you so much for joining us this week on Wellness Women Radio. I'm Ashley. And I'm Andrea. And we love joining you each week to share the latest and greatest that uh, is going on in the health world. And this week's topic is interesting because we've already done it before, but there's always amazing things that come out. There's always updates. There's always research progress. And uh, we think it would be an amazing time to have a chat to you and to revisit this particular topic, which is... Andrea, bum, bum, bum. oh, I'm like, do we say it at the same time? And like, really? <laughs> <laughs> Only because it's so relevant, right? This is just something we, we're yeah. going to give you the numbers because everyone listening here is going to know someone with this or may have it themselves. The numbers are so high. It is incredibly relevant. And we're talking about polycystic ovarian syndrome, um, PCOS. So we'll refer to it here in through the episode as PCOS, which uh, just cuts down our tongue tie moments. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, much less of a mouthful. Um, and we, like Ash said, we have actually covered this information uh, previously when we gave like a bit of a PCOS 101 kind of episode. Um, but just as the research is changing, we're absolutely going to keep up with that and keep you up to date with this as well, just like we did with the episode we did on endometriosis recently. Um, there's just so much fascinating stuff that's coming out and it would be so remiss of us to not let you know what you need to know about PCOS. Um, Ash, like you said, it's it's so prevalent, which is really scary. So statistically, and, you know, these stats do come from the US, but Australia resembles that, you know, we mirror that so much is that they're saying that 25% of cycling women, so women of reproductive age, have polycystic ovarian syndrome. 
25%, a quarter of us. That's amazing. And it counts for 70% of uh, issues of infertility in women. So it's certainly, you know, something that is, uh, well, it affects many systems within the body. It affects our health, our mindset. There's so many factors that affects, you know, all of us in some way, because if it's not us, it's a girlfriend that's being affected by it. And, you know, of course, the battle that person can go through becomes our journey too. You know, either we're there for support or we don't understand it, we need to know more. So if you're listening and you want to know more about PCOS, keep listening because we're going to really run through uh, what it is, you know, what you can do about it, what the latest research says. And this all came about because late last year, there was an update um, to some guidelines that are produced by an international consortium of the best researchers across the planet. Um, and it's really proudly, it's an Australian one too. And this is from the Centre for Research Excellence in Polycystic Ovary Syndrome. And they came out with what is or called the evidence-based guideline for the assessment and management of polycystic ovary syndrome. And this is distributed globally to health professionals across the globe and anyone who's working with women's health to try and give a framework as to how we can better assess for um, the challenges that come up with diagnosis and, of course, the evidence-based approach to lifestyle management and also for therapy of infertility. And... I thought that was really interesting because they'd previously done one. They produced it in 2011 and it's really run out of uh, Monash Uni and uh, University of Adelaide. And this updated guideline's been fantastic because they've used some really gold standards of um, research models looking at meta-analysis and things like that. So we love the fact that we always look at things from a, a natural health perspective, but this is a fantastic, you know, very much um, evidence-based medical approach as well. And I think put the two together and you have, you know, gold standard of care. Um, and that's really interesting. I like that they're actually putting together some sort of information about actual diagnosis and mm. like recognizing it because even though they're saying that, you know, 25% of women um, uh, have PCOS, I I really question that. It just, I think that 25% of women probably have some sort of ovulatory issue mm. um, or have something that might resemble the symptomatology of PCOS, but I just do not believe that they actually do have true polycystic ovarian syndrome. And I think part of why um, I'm questioning this is because still there is no consensus on diagnosis for PCOS. Mm. So there's, there's three different avenues that medical practitioners are using depending on who they're citing and so which is why this consortium that you're referring to ash i think is a great idea so um you know previously there was like the nih the androgen excess society um and also there was the rotterdam criteria and i refer to the rotterdam criteria in terms of diagnostic um criteria when we're looking at someone who does actually have pcos mm. because we also understand that there's a difference between polycystic ovaries and polycystic ovarian syndrome um, so you can have one or you can have the other, or you can have both. Um, and I think that this is why, you know, it's such a confusing, 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 confusing um, uh, syndrome and condition to have because not a lot of people understand it. It goes very unmanaged. And I don't think that the medical options right now um, are too great. Well, they certainly uh, we have know. gaps, don't they? They're incomplete yeah. in some ways because they acknowledge the lifestyle component, but they often don't acknowledge the framework which sets the biochemistry combined with genetic 
kind of cascade exactly. emotion from the outset. Yep. Um, they certainly exactly. look at the management, but they don't actually ask the question, well, what triggered this? What set this all off? Because um, the true, you know, I guess, can you reverse polycystic ovaries is a question mark there. Um, I believe yes, based on a lot of evidence. There's so many things to confirm that it's very possible if you're someone with PCOS that it doesn't necessarily just have to be because I know a lot of people believe that all they can do is manage PCOS. Um, But in fact, there's plenty of good evidence to suggest you can actually reverse PCOS, the damage that's being done to the body. Um, Definitely. And And it does not have to be a permanent condition. No. And that's fascinating because a lot of us with PCOS, uh, myself included, (laughs) back in the day, were told that that's the the experience to expect. Um, I was certainly told that I would have issues with regards to fertility, which um, (laughs) we know. Yeah, back uh, did in not the, happen. No, but back as a teenager, that was terrifying because I've always been a person who adult, adores kids and could only imagine my life with children. Um, but I certainly know the the same fear that was you know started with me when I <laughs> was given that diagnosis was the same fear that so many of you listening have, and often it's to do with fertility and the chances of you know fertility and and having a, and carrying a pregnancy to full term, um, because there's so many things that suggest that. PCOS is um, not conducive to either good fertility or full-term pregnancy. So mm. we're going to talk, I reckon we should talk about what it is because for, I think if you're listening and thinking, okay, great, well, tell me what PCOS is, how would I know if I had it? Um, we're going to run through some of the signs and symptoms, the most common things that would be indicative of a PCOS um, sort of diagnosis. Not This doesn't mean you have to have every single one of these. You wouldn't, don't necessarily have to tick all the boxes like I didn't, um, but it certainly would suggest that a lot of these would be, you know, symptomatic situation that you would say, oh, tick, 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 tick too. So there's basically you can kind of classically break it down into a couple of different categories. You look at the things around your periods, your your cycle and fertility signs. Um, Then you have things like their hair and skin signs and you have potentially effects on sleep and sleep pattern and, of course, mental, emotional health as well because these are all hormonal issues. Um, So, yeah, Andrew, run us through some of the things that, you know, someone with PCOS would be experiencing potentially. Well, for true polycystic ovarian syndrome, according to the classification system that I use, it's usually they will need to have a lack of ovulation or anovulation. Mm -hmm. Um, They will have hyperandrogenism, so meaning male type hormonal pitches. So there will be some sort of clinical feature of that. So we might see um, they might be getting some male pattern um, hair loss or um, sometimes alopecia, um, or they might be getting hertrosis. Let me try that again. Oh, my gosh, Ash, I cannot say that tonight. It's been a long Yes, yes, thank you, um, which is essentially like male pattern hair growth as well. So that might be um, hair growth along the jawline, around the nipples, um, you know, in other areas as well that you would consider to be more sort of male pattern growth. Um, there should be biochemical changes that are accessible on blood tests as well. So they might have elevated um, testosterone. It might be free testosterone or free um, free androgen index, or they might have elevated DHEA as well. But they should also have the evidence of polycystic ovaries on ultrasound too. Um, So that is essentially the criteria that I use to go, okay, let's have a look at you. Let's see what's going on. And do you sort of fit this pattern? And if maybe you do only have 
um, more follicles on your ovaries that was detected by an ultrasound, but nothing else then I would not be saying that you have PCOS. Yes, there you might be have increased follicles, but it could also be because of our testing procedures now and our technology is so much better than what it used to be. So our diagnostic ultrasound actually detects so many more follicles than what it could say 20 or 30 years ago. <laughs> so, you know, is it possible that just this has changed as well or even sort of 10 years ago? But I'm totally getting off track. Let's talk about what a, a woman might have in terms of her symptomatology, if she's thinking that she might have PCOS. So these might be things like classically um, that uh, weight gain in that kind of, um, they call it like an apple shape. So it might be around the midsection, um, particularly that abdominal obesity, but not always. There can definitely be thin, fit women who have polycystic ovarian syndrome as well. Um, You might have absent periods, So you may not have a period for sometimes for some women, it's not for 40 days. It might not be for 60 days, or you might only have a few periods for that year. Um, There is a very strong correlation between, um, like you said, um, Ash, some of those psychological symptoms as well. So whether that is anxiety, depression, there might be some psychosexual sort of dysfunction going on as well. Um, But usually there's definitely metabolic features. Um, So whether or not it's obesity um, or, you know, a little bit more weight gain, it could be also an insulin resistant picture as well. So elevated blood sugar levels too. Mm-hmm. And uh, interesting what else thing do you was, want to add there? Well, no, I just think that's interesting too, because, um, you know, this is the thing that was confounding for my situation of diagnosis that I didn't have weight gain. I didn't have the, the classic, um, what looks like that metabolic issue. However, um, being a national level athlete definitely masked a lot of the, um, signs I would suspect because I could tick a lot of the other boxes and it just yes. was kind of like, okay, so, but I'm not overweight, so I mustn't have this. And then chatting to some natural healthcare professionals just came down to the same thing. It's like insulin resistance. <laughs> do yeah. the research, insulin resistance. You're an athlete. What do you feel yourself on? What do you live on? Like, what are you eating every day? Think about it for a second. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm not fat. So maybe it's just polycystic ovaries without the S, you know, without this, this sort of S on the yeah. end. And um, interestingly, you know, had I just thought that way, I may not have been able to, you know, heal myself. So um, yeah, realizing that there's potentially other lifestyle factors that were in my favor at that time in my life, um, which was masking some of it, but certainly for a lot and, of the other and things. Ash, let's, um, let's talk about that because I know that you would have been like carb loading every single meal. Um, so <laughs> yeah. what would have been driving that for you again is that insulin resistance. And 100%. Lara Bryden has come out with um, four types of PCOS, which I think is a really good tool to use to kind of understand the condition a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So one type is that insulin resistant type. So these are kind of the causes of um, what brings this picture up in the first place. And this is by far absolutely the most common type of PCOS. So insulin resistance, um, if you are not entirely sure what we mean by that, please go back and have a listen to um, the episodes that we did on, um, you know, maybe diabetes and the ones that we have done in insulin resistance as well. So essentially your body has lost the sensitivity that it should have to the sugar that you're eating in your diet. And it cannot use that as a fuel for your cells because your poor little insulin receptors have burnt out because they've worked too hard for too long. And this is this is absolutely metabolic. This is from, you know, too high insulin, too high leptin, all of that sort of stuff um, that is from the foods you're eating. 
and, and the things that you're drinking, it's the things that you're putting into your mouth, really. Um, so most commonly, it's the, the sugars and the heavily processed carbohydrates as well. Absolutely. Tick those boxes when you're talking yeah. to a lot of uh, athletes. So, <laughs> And this is why a lot of female athletes uh, are diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome in retrospect um, because, you know, it might not be until they want a family and then they look back and they go, oh, yeah, I just thought it was an athlete that I didn't have, you know, my regular menstrual cycle. They just told me that was why I didn't have it. And then you realize, you know, dietary sort of framework that set it up. Um, obviously not for all women, but for a lot. I think, you know, when we talk about insulin resistance, the research says that uh, the actual, you know, issue of insulin resistance affects 65 to 70% of women with PCOS. So it's clearly a massive Mm -hmm. chunk of the picture and the framework as to what sets this up. Um, And, of course, that leads to half of the women being overweight. So um, it makes a woman more susceptible to obesity, not just overweight, and, of course, in you know, increased prevalence of cardiovascular disease and all the other things that go with any associated lifestyle risks um, with obesity and, you know, overweight. So I think for me, you know, I was like, but hang on, I'm not overweight. And I really, you know, was sitting on a body fat percentage of about 16% or so. So, you know, well under, well under the marker of, you know, a risk factor, so to speak, but. I would um, love my body fat percentage. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But you know what, but as a consequence of what, like, you know, the consequence was that I didn't have this regular cycle. I was insulin resistant being masked well by high, high intensity exercise, chronic stress. Like I was not healthy. And is that such a paradox that when you're an elite athlete, that you're really, really unhealthy. Like that just, um, it's mind-boggling. It's amazing. It is. So, you know, this is why we use that as almost like a case study because I sort of say to women, but you don't have to have the classic PCOS signs to have PCOS. Um, If you're particularly in cases of being athletic or ectomorphic body framework as well, I have met women with that ectomorphic body type that clearly have PCOS concerns and um because of their you know natural propensity for being long lean they don't carry that midline body fat the way someone else would be if they're you know a mesomorph for example so definitely Mm. um and then i guess that leads us to our next type of pcos and that is the pill induced pcos or Mm. or what we've called before that post pill syndrome and i see this so commonly that women will come off the pill and will not have a period sometimes for the the space of you know two plus years because the damage that the oral contraceptive pill has had on their ovaries and we know that it suppresses ovulation we know that it completely takes your you know um anterior pituitary offline which is what signals down with the follicular stimulating hormone and your luteinizing hormone to signal that ovulatory change um so i think this is really really common um and ash usually it's isn't it funny that if you had pcos so like your insulin resistant version of pcos usually then then the next step the medical um option is to put you on hormonal birth control mm-hmm. which is like a double whammy for that right there yeah. Um, if only I knew that back then, <laughs> I might've made different choices uh, early on, but you know, that wasn't the case at the time. And hence every journey leads you to something uh, of a learning experience, which I'm glad I did because I don't think we'd be talking, uh, you know, here on Wellness and Radio if I didn't have that experience. Yes, exactly. Um, and then the third type of PCOS is the inflammatory type. And this one is a little bit less understood. Um, so this is more of like an immune mediated change that is then 
causing problems to the ovaries. So uh, when we did a bit of a review on um, the uh, endometri, uh, um, endocrinology um, conference that I went to earlier in the year, it was talking a lot about mast cell activation syndrome and its relationship to polycystic ovarian syndrome. And it was really hard to kind of get your head around how um, these immune markers can then affect you know, that hormonal profile. But if, if we just focus on the inflammatory change, we know that that can absolutely damage the system. Um, and there was a like really interesting, like recent meta-analysis that showed that there is consistent elevated circulating TNF alpha levels, which refers to tumor necrosis factor alpha levels, which essentially is a marker of chronic inflammation that was shown to be significantly higher in women with PCOS and may even be involved in promoting that insulin resistant state and that androgen excess as well. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? And this, um, you know, chronic inflammation can be from, you know, maybe um, unmanaged autoimmune conditions, uh, the foods that we're putting into our system, um, particularly if we've got that, you know, leaky gut or increased intestinal permeability and we're still having inflammatory foods like, you know, gluten and dairy or things that maybe don't agree with the individual. This can also be, we absolutely know, can be from stress and environmental toxins as well. Um, and then finally, the the fourth um, type of PCOS or the fourth cause of PCOS is essentially unknown or hidden causes. So this might be from, you know, an, maybe an undiagnosed or unmanaged thyroid condition. Um, it could be from certain diets as well. So sometimes, um, you know, vegetarian or vegan diets because of just some uh, decrease in vitamins and minerals that they might need, particularly zinc, which is essential for the ovaries and essential for ovulation. Um, or they might be having too much soy or they might be too restrictive with their diet or those sorts of things kind of come into all clumped together in that, you know, hidden cause or unknown cause. Mm, and to throw that in there, I think there's probably, uh, you know, there's good research to suggest there's a genetic connection as well. Um, Definitely. And what's interesting here is there was some studies showing that it's more common in the mothers and sisters of women with PCOS. So irregular mm -hmm. menstrual cycles um, are often familial. So you'll see that as a generational thing, um, which is super interesting because that's the case in my grandmother and my mother and myself. And, um, you know, back in the day when my grandma was going to have children, um, they didn't know why she couldn't get pregnant. And, you know, hence my my mum and her, her brother are the youngest of all the cousins by a long way because they obviously struggled with fertility for a long time. At a time when there wasn't fertility support, they couldn't figure out what was going on. So, you know, they were just barren. That was the day of, you know, a woman just being barren and unable to have oh, kids. Yeah. Um, That's what they were called, barren. What a horrible yeah, word. Horrible, horrible. So, you know, imagine the mental, emotional trauma of that and you know, having all your siblings around you, having kids and things and just not knowing the why. So um, I suspect that, you know, Cascade is obviously clearly running through our female line in our family. <laughs> And there's evidence that supports that as well, Ash. So there was that Dutch famine study that was yes. done on, um, and you know, please uh, excuse my ignorance if I'm if I get the details incorrect here. But so the Dutch famine study was done on World War Two survivors. Um, so after um, you know World War Two, obviously there was a massive shortage, or during World War Two there was a huge shortage of food. So there was a, a massive widespread famine, and what they found is that those women were not infertile. They did not have hormonal changes. Their daughters 
were unaffected. However, it was the third generation, so their granddaughters, that they started to see very dramatic fertility changes and a massive increase of PCOS. Mm. Um, and that's definitely what we see today as well. And isn't it interesting that um, I wonder if this this generational thing is because that, for example, for a woman, if you are pregnant with a a female child, Mm -hmm. you are also essentially carrying your potential grandchildren, which is just fascinating. So I wonder if it is, if it is truly genetic or if it is the, it's setting up that hormonal picture that's carried on through the generations. So the theory behind that is that um, what is happening is there's fetal adaptation, which causes genetic defecting that leads to PCOS. And so essentially, you know, like you've, this is where this, you know, the Dutch famine um, sort of study shows up these things is that if they've the fetus is developing uh, inside the mother in a stressful environment. So in the case of wartime, that was obviously a clear lack of adequate food and nutrition. Mm-hmm. Um, the fetus undergoes genetic change to help it to adapt to that stressful environment. And, of course, that mm-hmm. genetic material is passed on. One of the genetic adaptations is insulin resistance. Okay. And that makes perfect sense Yeah, because the baby's thinking, oh, we're starving. This is time mm-hmm. of famine. Um, and this doesn't just happen during famines. This happens when women are too restrictive during pregnancy as well with foods. Yeah. And so when food is scarce, uh, it basically keeps energy in the blood for a longer time. So it helps, you know, reach cells when needed. So naturally, this is an incredibly smart, adaptive process for mm-hmm. um, an environment that will be limited in calories. However... Guess what? <laughs> we live in the 2018 environment, which is unlimited calories everywhere we go. Mm-hmm. We're never more than uh, a couple of minutes away from a high fat, high calorie, high sugar um, experience. So, because yeah. of this combination of you know excess calories and uh, genetic framework set up for insulin resistance, it's you know absolutely the recipe for the chronic disease model now. That could be expressed as type 2 diabetes. It could be cardiovascular disease. It can be polycystic ovarian syndrome. Um, mm-hmm. So it's super, you know, super relevant to understand the foundations of that. Can you change that if it's a genetic predisposition? Um, well, let's just say you're probably not going to change your genes, but we do know about epigenetic expression. So you can change the environment to basically turn the switch off, um, which is fascinating. So, Look, I don't know, maybe my grandmother went through an experience that was stressful at that time, you know, when she was pregnant with my mother and, you know, my mother's passed that through to me. Interestingly, the question I have too, which hasn't been answered, so I'm just throwing it out there. What about women with like hyperemesis? Go over there. <laughs> basically really acute morning sickness throughout their whole pregnancy. We know yeah. they're getting a lack of nutrition, um, hence the reason. Yeah. Just, I've just had a question mark. It's been running in my mind for quite a few years. I've always wanted could that in itself be setting up a framework, not that we want you to worry if that's the case for yourself and your pregnancy. But, you know, we're just looking at ways to how to enhance human health and to do that, you know, we ask the why. Like I'm just fascinated by, well, why and how and, you know, what's the possibility to improve the possibility of growing healthier more amazing, more adaptive children that are going to better handle the environment uh, that we're going to leave them. And at this stage, we're doing a really shitty job of creating a great environment. So (laughs) let's work out how we can make them resilient. 
And Ash, this is something that I've been thinking quite a lot about um, because even though we have an absolute abundance of food and it's definitely, you know, this is not a food, um, I guess, distribution issue so much, mm. um, but what we do have is still people doing incredibly restrictive diets, you know, like 500 calorie a day diets or mm. going too far into, say, a ketogenic diet. And I'm talking more about women because men are a little bit more resilient um, just because literally their hormones are much less of a moving target than what ours are um you know maybe being going too far into say like a ketogenic diet staying in ketosis for too long or um you know fasting for too long those sorts of things we know that that it can absolutely change your body to essentially activate your famine genes mm-hmm Mm. So I'm wondering if even just those things is is creating that same picture as well. Um, we definitely have to do a podcast on that, <laughs> I reckon. I've, yeah. I've got that on our to-do list. <laughs> but what, what all this does definitely confirm is even if genetics sets the stage, you know, for insulin resistance, um, it takes a combination of poor lifestyle habits. So there's no getting around that. Um, and I believe that it's the lifestyle factors that cause PCOS are the ones that we have control over. Because I can't change what my grandma experienced, you know, all those years ago, and I can't change the genetics that were passed on to me. However, I do have control over the lifestyle factors that can trigger or cause PCOS. So, you know, we know that there's certain strategies and ways which we can prevent PSOS. And the big part of that for me is obviously food first and coming down to, you know, just basically uh, – You've got to get away from things that are high carbohydrate, you know, things that are high GI, high glycemic index. Um, yeah. You've got to reduce the calories. You have to, you know, cut the calories down to bring it back to what is what are probably suggestive of a standardized, you know, quantity for females. Um you know, chronic stress, you talked about inflammation, Andrea. Like, yeah. what on earth are we gonna do, you know, to reduce inflammation if we don't address stress because we know that's a massive trigger for that cascade um mental emotional stress and naturally it's going to affect our mood mood emotion behavior and stress is going to make our food choices poorer what do you do when you're stressed yeah. you you know you reach a high carb high calorie high fat high sugar oh. like you know we just can't oh, help it because the body's in crisis there so we need we have to look at strategies to reduce stress um i also think that you know for example for myself and for a lot of women we mask it so well with exercise, but overactivity, overexercise is as much an issue as underactivity and sedentary lifestyle. Definitely. So that overactivity, that overexercise drives up that cortisol stress response, which, you know, is that nasty cascade uh, down the pathway of insulin resistance. So it's kind of like, wow, catch 22, we're told to exercise because it's good for our health, but too much exercise and we're now tripping over the other side of the equation which is actually damaging for our, our health and our hormone balance so that's you know something that i definitely had to address and as soon as i actually took a break i was fascinated to see how my body started to you know recalibrate to some degree which was uh, a really big thing so ladies if you're someone mm-hmm. who's doing a lot of excessive exercise um but your pcos you're gonna have to consider how you're going to moderate that exercise um Lifestyle, you know, in terms of exposure, chemical exposure, all of these endocrine disrupting compounds that are, you know, 
filling our lives, our air, our, our products. So we've talked about this ad nauseum in pretty much every episode. Fix your environmental, you know, stresses. Get rid of the crap in the cupboards and the cosmetics and the food. Like stop with the plastics. We could rave on and on. We could. We always do a whole episode just on that. Um, but you know, industry disrupting chemicals are the real deal. We cannot ignore them anymore. They used to be a bit like, oh, it's a bit hippie to ditch your plastics, but now it's just. There's no alternative. We are suffering. Look at society. We are sick. We have to make radical change. Um, and of course, you know, if there's issues regarding weight loss and weight management, then that needs to be addressed. And of course, that from that, there's, you know, there's lifestyle changes through diet and exercise. But, you know, sometimes um, we're going to talk about this now because the guidelines that were presented do acknowledge the fact that um, standard therapy for a majority of adult cases of PCOS uh, is metformin. Mm. Yeah. Um, and so metformin is, and Ash, I'm sure you're going to say this anyway, um, mm. is essentially a drug they use to treat diabetes. So it helps to improve insulin sensitivity. Um, look, in all honesty, it has been shown to be fairly safe, but we don't want to use pharmaceuticals unless we absolutely have to. And they've actually also, there's research that's shown that, that berberine is as effective as metformin. Cool. Um, which is an amazing. And that's, you know, a herb that I prefer to use over that. And uh, I haven't actually had a patient that hasn't responded in terms of PCOS. And I'm talking about women who haven't had periods in years. I ha- haven't had a patient who has not responded to these targeted lifestyle changes that you're talking about, Ash, with strong dietary changes. And you do have to be vigilant about these things. But mm. I guess there's, you know, there's also that threshold. It's like, is this a stress or on the body by being too restrictive? We're not being restrictive, but there's boundaries um, and also using um, some herbs as well. So, you know, like, uh, and some supplementation that might include something like absolutely zinc. We've always got to assess zinc when it comes to hormonal stuff for women, um, magnesium, um, things like, uh, so magnesium, inositol, um, berberine, uh, cinnamon, B vitamins, those sorts of things are amazing for regulating blood sugar and insulin resistance. So, so good. Um, obviously you don't want to use berberine for too long because it, um, can have that, uh, sort of microbial effect on your gut or that, like antimicrobial effects so you don't want to go too overboard with that um and there's also herbs like peony and licorice that have been shown to really help to clear androgens but again you don't want to use those for too long all right should we well, let's do a sum up of this because there's a lot going on we're oh like gosh, we've been throwing it we've yeah. been throwing it all out there as to you know what can you do so let's just break this down simply if we were to put it all together and say ladies if you have pcos you can do so many things to reduce, manage, and potentially reverse PCOS. So what are some of the things that are required to package this lifestyle up? What is needed to get your body's biochemistry kicking into action the right way? Now, for me, number one is restrict your carbohydrates, um, and that is to the right carbohydrates. So you're getting rid of the high glycemic index carbs. You're using, you know, complex carbohydrates that take more time to break down, that are fibrous, that are good for digestive system. Um, you know, eating a high fiber diet, which includes plenty of vegetables with every meal is essential. 
And this is where some people have a challenge, like vegetables for breakfast. Guess what? You can have omelets. Guess what? You can have, you know, grilled veggies for breakfast. There's so many ways you can have veggies. So every meal, vegetables. Um, Right amount of protein. We we actually just had a seminar this last weekend, which was talking about, you know, weight management, weight loss and obesity. And it was fascinating because the two scientifically valid uh, eating processes are either sort of ketogenic uh, approach or a, you know, restricted um, um, uh, what were we were doing? So you had your ketogenics, um, and then you so had your either, low fat, it was either low carb or low fat. Um, yeah. it, but even their like their version of ketogenic wasn't really true ketogenic. It was more healthy fats, which I like the idea of. Yeah, true. Um, so you're not putting women into ketosis, which, would be uh, which is good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then the other one was you know carbohydrate restriction, uh, which I also think no wait that. No, fat restriction. No, was, was, yeah, was, was fat restriction. <laughs> yeah, which um, makes sense. Which, for calorie yeah. control. Yeah. 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 So that that was really good to see just that um, the science supports the recommendations we often make, which is awesome. Um, definitely exercise. So you need to add exercise to the equation. This is where if you're a high-intensity exerciser, sometimes you need to bring it down and you need to go to low intensity such as yoga, meditation, Pilates, Tai Chi, anything that's just going to help to normalize your stress response. And if you're an inactive person, you've got to bump it up. You need to get moving. So there's, you know, depending on which part of the equation you're on, you need to work out what's going to be right for you. Big fan of meditation. So I really think that some of those principles of stress management come down to mindfulness and how you look at the word meditation is totally up to you. But that really essentially just means finding a space in your framework, in your brain to calm the stress hormones down, to, you know, increase your positivity and sense of well-being. Um, that could be a guided meditation, that could be classes, that could be lying on the grass, under a tree, staring at the leaves, whatever it is to you, but do something to bring down that stress response. Sleep is a big one. So, you know, uh, mm. I found that being an athlete, if I was to stay up a little bit late, my alarm clock went off at quarter to five every morning. So if I had to do work, get assignments done, get assessments done. It came at the expense of sleep always. So, you know, making sure you're getting the right sleep routine, um, you know, ritualizing your sleep processes, making sure seven to 10, seven to nine hours is a critical thing. So anything less than seven, you're absolutely depriving yourself of necessary sleep. Um, and we know that that lack of sleep messes with our leptin receptors. So mm-hmm. you're going to be more um, uh, prone to having more calories and erring towards the more sugary, carbohydrate-dense things when you are sleep-deprived as well. We know that that is like an absolute scientific fact and it's very supported by the research as well. Yeah, and as Andrea said, add in the good stuff. So this is where you add in things like you mentioned the cinnamon, the flax seeds, um, berberine, uh, magnesium, I think, and zinc you mentioned is a big one. Yes. Um, Inositol. I think you had, did you say Vitex, your Chaseberry? Because I know we often talk um, about that in women's health. Oh, yes. You've got to be careful with Vitex though because mm. um, depending on what their like follicular stimulating hormone to luteinizing hormone ratios are, if you go, if their ratios, so the ratios should be two to one FSH yep. to LH. And this is actually something that I test on women. So if we are querying PCOS, um, I would do like a serum or a blood test on day three of their cycle and look at their FSH to LH ratio. If their LH ratio is too high or their LH is too high, Vitex is going to make that worse. Yeah, so, cool. So there's a caution um, there. So this is why I work with yeah. your health 
practitioners because obviously if you you know look online or you have someone suggest this because they've been recommended it um it's not personalized medicine so we always recommend you yeah. you consult practitioners to get a more personalized approach do the right testing find out what you need to know and then obviously categorically you know personalize that program so it fits all your needs as we've tried to be broad about things there's certainly more yes. specific ways to do this but the exciting take home i think that you need to have is that pcos is not a life sentence you know pcos yes. can be resolved pcos is something that potentially could have been started by the genetic program you're being given by you know your family but it's not it's not the be all end all right there it is something you have uh some degree of control over and that control comes from your choice about the lifestyle you live and i think awesome. uh that's so exciting to know that because then you go wow i'm not a train wreck on this out of control you know path to chaos and infertility there's something you can do so we hope you feel a Definitely. bit excited about that we hope you don't feel you know disempowered we want you to feel like wow you've got some control here and there's so many things you can do so ladies thank you for um taking an active role in your health because the fact that you're listening to this tells us you want more from life you want to be informed you want to be empowered um and we hope you go out there and find the right practitioners to work with that are going to help serve your needs particularly surrounding this important topic and there's just one um, more lifestyle thing that I want to throw in there. I love to get women with PCOS, if they haven't done already, to start lifting some weights. Mm. So it doesn't have to be heavy. Um, you know, they can be super light, but just start to do some weight bearing or, you know, weighted exercise because this is one of the most proven ways to improve your insulin sensitivity. Um, and through the GLUT4 receptors, it actually it it helps to um, essentially stop that insulin resistant state, which is amazing without the use of medications. Um, so, and that is just with weight bearing or weighted exercise, which is awesome. So high um, five to the barbell babes, you know, yeah. <laughs> all the girls got that. their barbells out. Yeah, yeah. Good job. You know, kettlebells and everything like that. If you're already on that mission, good job. It's obviously the right thing to do. So keep doing it within reason though, as we said, exercise yes. can swing yeah. to the stress response. I have certainly found this with a couple of my CrossFit ladies that uh you know yes, push push absolutely. things beyond their normal they're not gonna strength. want to hear that though no i know <laughs> so, but that, this is not an anti-crossfit thing this is just saying moderation um moderating it in accordance with what your personal needs are so we love exercise Definitely. and we love all the programs of different trainings and each their own each thing works for a different person which is the awesome thing which is why there's so many different ways of approaching uh you know your health and fitness but yeah Cool. So hopefully that's given you a bit of, you know, a bit of our journey, our story, how we approach it, uh, the, you know, the medical thing that's been, uh, you know, recently redone. So those guideline updates are really supporting better diagnosis and better understanding of PCOS because as I was told, um, yeah, that's your thing. And I think imagine if that, that specialist had had some guidelines there, they would not have just sent me out saying you're probably going to be infertile. Good luck to you. <laughs> I would have been referred out appropriately. I'd have been given action steps. Hopefully they'd have given me a management plan that would have said, look, do this, this and this, change diet and lifestyle, blah, 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 blah. Um, and I would have been feeling a whole lot more happier about the experience instead. It's etched into my memory forever as one of the most negative experiences of my life. So <laughs> maybe that's what we should put on the website, like a PCO management system i think that would be a great idea um <laughs> ladies we'll, we'll work on that um 
Right. So I know that there was a stack of information on there. We would love to know if you've got questions from this episode. Um, so please communicate with us on Facebook. So facebook.com forward slash the wellness women. Um, we're on Instagram at the wellness women official. Um, ladies, you know, make sure you can communicate with us from our website, um, the wellnesswomen.com.au. Uh, and we would just love to know what your experience with PCOS is, what has worked for you. Um, and you know, maybe what hasn't as well. I think one of the take homes though, with this is that you really have to, it is a complicated condition. You really need to know, or you need to be working with someone who actually knows what they're talking about and don't just accept that this is, you know, your diagnosis, like with a, you know, that brush diagnosis without proper investigation as well, I think is really important. Um, right, ladies, it is 10 past nine here at night for us. So Dr. Ashley and I need to start our, you know, our sleep hygiene routine so that we're part of the 10 p.m. club. So, you know, it's part of our stress reduction and our sugar management or our leptin management as well. So actually you and I need to start winding down. Uh, but ladies, until next week, be well. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.